you can only get wealthy one way, and that's by helping a lot of people. Yes, I can get myself, you know, 10, 20 apartment buildings over my lifespan, but if I really want to truly build something great, I'm going to have to help a lot of people be successful. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest with Sarah Larby. Today's guest is Adam Kitchener who is an investor, landlord, property manager, entrepreneur, business strategist, coach, and motivational speaker. And Adam actually is an investor in Brantford, Ontario as well. So we're going to hear all about his strategies, his success, and how he's been able to also help others. And 15 years ago, Adam Kitchener lived in a third floor, one bedroom apartment with his family in Brantford, Ontario. And ironically, now he owns the building down the streets. In 2015, Adam slept in his car in a parking garage in downtown Toronto and was working three jobs. A year later, he repositioned a 150-unit apartment complex, growing revenue 47% and taking occupancy from 55% to 98% in just eight months. And then in 2017, Adam made half a million dollars alone in just two investments that he made the year before through a Burr strategy. And if you guys have heard my podcast before, I absolutely love the Burr. It's like probably my favorite strategy of all times, which stands for buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. So that is like probably the best strategy of all times. And just this past year in 2018, Adam is expected to complete over $8 million in property acquisitions. He grew a private car service into a global travel concierge and built a brand that stands for breaking barriers, personal growth, and creating wealth. And it is so awesome that he was able to do all of this before turning 25, which is insane. So I wish I was 25 at the time that I started. And not that I was extremely old either, but I definitely, you know, look back at it and wow. I mean, starting early and being able to do this by the time that you're 25 is just incredible. That is not to say that you can't do it if you're 50 or whatever, but it is really inspirational. So we're going to hear from Adam. The other thing I wanted to also mention is the right club no longer so right it has been rebranded and we've got meetings in september we've got a couple in october we've got one in november so if you guys are interested in coming if you haven't come to any meetings yet your first one you guys can come for free just send me an email that way i can add you to the guest list as a first time guest and it is in burlington every meeting starts at seven o'clock sharp and all the details are on our website, which is therightclub.com. So you guys can take a look and see what the topics are. Every single month, it's a completely different topic, real estate investing specific, knowledge uh, specific. And uh, I really 
like to also provide an opportunity for people to network. So there's a networking break in there as well that you guys can meet other like-minded individuals. I think it's been about a year and a half now that we've started So Right, now called Right Club. And we have about 100 to 150 attendees each and every single month. A lot of repeat attendees, people that are really part of the community so come out and and check it out and see what you know what you can learn and i think it's definitely great value for beginners just as much as experts and people that have been doing it for longer and many years so with that said let's get on to our show and meet adam hey adam and welcome to where should i invest how are you i'm doing well how are you Good, good. I'm excited to have you on. So you are actually, originally you were living in my hometown of Brantford, Ontario, or I should say my investment town of Brantford, Ontario. Well, it's actually still my investment town. I love Brantford for its rental properties. Excellent. So you've got a lot of different accolades, a lot of different deals. You do so many different things, but I just want to start from the beginning. Can you tell us how you got started in real estate investing and why? I got started in real estate investing purely because basically my dad bought his first investment property when I was a young age. I watched him. I kind of followed him along from building to building. And actually, he bought in Brantford 15 years ago before anyone even knew that Brantford was a city. We bought our first fourplex investment property for $130,000, which is unheard of. The fourplexes on that street are actually selling for six hundred and eighty dollars now, which is a $550,000 increase from where it was you know, 12, 13 years ago. And so I kind of grew up in the business and I learned from my family and just naturally, I guess, through attrition, I kind of became involved in the business and that's how I'm involved today. Very cool. So you started with a multi-unit and I think you're currently still doing multi-units. Is that correct? I'm still doing multi-family. Yep. So why do you like multifamilies in comparison to single families as an example? One of the things I really like about multifamily is you're able to protect yourself a lot better than a single family. I've been in this business long enough. Right now we're in a heated real estate market where vacancy is not an issue. I've been on the other end of the spectrum where I've seen where it was, you know, vacancies were very, very high and you might have to sit on a vacancy for an extended period of time. So with that being said, if you've got a single family home, and you've got nobody to rent it, you're carrying the cost of that mortgage until you get it rented. The other side of the coin is that you happen to have a single family investment. The tenant you get in there completely destroys the place and they haven't paid rent in six months. They punched a hole in all the cabinets. And so really you're looking at your financial statement right now going, I don't have money to fix this place up, but I can't rent it in the state that it is. You're forced to carry that single family for an extended period of time until you can get it back on the market. On the other side of the spectrum where I am, I have four units as a minimum in an apartment building. So if I have one tenant who doesn't pay rent for six months, I'm, I'm definitely not happy about it, but I can still pay my bills with the other three rents. And if they happen to destroy the place and I have to sit on it for a couple months until I can get it back into a livable state, I'm okay. I can ride that wave and I can just kind of break even for a couple months until I can get that the right tenant in there I'm also not under the gun to put anybody in there. I can take my time, put the right tenant in there, and hopefully not make the same mistake twice. Yeah, some great advice for sure. So like, what does your portfolio consist of today? 
That's actually a question where the answer changes by the day. Last week, I have a property management company too. So we're uploading a lot of new clients to our portfolio. I just worked with an investor to go partners on a 68-unit apartment building complex out in Hamilton. Wow. Uh, we're expected to take that sometime in October. And I'm looking at an $8 million deal. So I'm hoping that I can then use that to kind of keep growing and growing and growing to build a national brand and with, you know, 10,000 years. I mean, that's the end goal. I'm not there, but I'm shooting for it. Okay. So like you started basically from scratch and you are here today and I want to know what you did because you're still young. Like how old are you? I turned 26 two days ago. Wow. Amazing and happy belated birthday, but it is really impressive. So 26 years old and you went from zero to like a hundred and like, in how long? It's hard to say. It feels like it hasn't been that long, but I've been working at it for a long time. They say that, you know, an overnight success takes 10 years. And truly, I've been working at this for 10 years. I started working in the trades when I was 16 years old, following actually the contractors that worked for my dad, doing vinyl tiles. I was hanging off the side of Hamilton Buildings, painting apartment balconies and putting in kitchens and painting apartments and just doing anything that I could to make a dollar. Because when I grew up in this environment, I knew that if I was going to be successful, I needed to start from a very young age. So I literally started pinching pennies at 16. So I started my first business was actually online selling heavy machinery for uh, manufacturing companies, selling CNC machines in, to manufacturers in the States. And that was my online business that I did when I was 16. I would spend my lunch breaks using the school's library computer and selling machinery to people across town in the States. And then that business didn't do so well. It's okay. It was a good learning experience. And then as I kept going, I graduated high school and they wanted me to go to business school. They kept saying, well, you're going to be a businessman. Why don't you go to business school? Dump $100,000 into an education. And I thought, well, if I have $100,000, I'm going to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, six, that would have been eight years ago. I would have bought a lot of house. Uh, $100,000 now, not so much. So I went to the bank and I said, give me a mortgage. And they basically said, well, you've got, you're 18. You don't have enough history. We're going to need some more from you. So I basically kind of gave them the bird and said, all right, fine, I'll do something else. I bought a little old Mercedes and I started a driving Mercedes-style car service. And from there, I'm not a very good at staying in one place. So I grew that business very, very quickly to become a very well-respected chauffeur and concierge service with uh, very high-end clients, very well-respected celebrities, country music artists, all sorts of cool clients uh, that I had grown through word of mouth and literally just asking for business. I believe that if you throw enough mud at the walls, if you send out enough tweets to the right people, if you phone enough times, eventually you'll get someone to return your call. And that's how I got a lot of my business. Yeah, that's really cool. I was reading up on that. Like I was reading up on your bio about even just some times you were working like a hundred hour weeks, like three jobs. Like it sounds like you're like a true hustler. (laughs) I want to do big things and I want to do more. And in order to do more, I have to make more. I need to work harder. I need to work smarter. And I've seen the ups and the downs. I've seen success. I've seen failure. And I also know a lot about the sacrifices that people have to make in order to become successful. And so I was taught very, very early on that if I'm going to be successful, if I'm going to do what I want to achieve, I need to start young and I need to start when I don't have other commitments because business is a very time consuming process. I had a superintendent of mine come to me the other day and he says, what are you doing on your day off? I said, nothing. He says, what do you mean? 
I said, you know, I'm literally just going to recharge and rebuild and read a book and do something, but you know, I'm not going anywhere. He says, what do you do on your days off? Do you have a hobby? I didn't know how to answer that question. I really don't know what I do for fun. And part of that is because I work 100 hours a week and I'm still doing that now. I'm not doing three different part-time jobs. I'm working for myself and my business, but I'm still working 100 hours a week. And my intention is that once I get to that certain point, then I can start dialing things back and find more of a balance in my own life. But the advantage to doing it now as opposed to later is right now, I don't have a wife and kids. I don't have a mortgage on a private home that I live in. So I'm able to make a lot more sacrifices than other people can because I don't have other priorities that I have to keep in line. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you know what? Like, I mean, I'm 34 right now and I look back at when I was 26 and you just got to put in your time and the effort and the grind. And, you know, in 10 years from now, you're going to be so much more further ahead than anybody is going to be that are, you know, enjoying a beer on the patio every single night with their friends or watching, you know, the game every single night or whatever it is. Because I mean, at the end of the day, like you should still have some kind of a work life balance. I was guilty of that in the beginning, too. And I looked at it as like, it's not a thing that's going to be forever. But if you put in a little bit more effort and you put in, you know, the time in the beginning, you're it's going to pay off tenfold in even five years from now. And you're going to be able to enjoy the things that people don't have in their lives regardless in even 20 years from now, you know, because you put in that effort. And I really truly believe that. Like I remember there are some times that I mean, this was for like my job where I would work and be in the office until 8 p.m. But, you know, sometimes you make the sacrifices and then you get the promotions and then you get the opportunities and you get the, you know, whatever it is. And then your case, you're smart because this is your own business. <laughs> so it's even better, right? Exactly. I mean, I'm making the sacrifices now so I don't have to make them later. And like I said before, I've seen what it's like to see the bottom. I know what it's like to open the fridge and see nothing in the fridge. You know, I grew up as a kid seeing that, and that was something I never wanted to go through again. I certainly wouldn't want to have to do that in, you know, the future family that's down the road, which is why I'm doing it now. You know, if I don't come home, there's no screaming children saying, hey, where's dad? Because they don't exist. No one can miss you if they don't walk the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's important that you still, you know, have a good balance and that you're still not burning out. And if you feel like you can go and you can do it now and it's energizing to you regardless, then, you know, all good. It's awesome. Well, I'm hoping to do this for about three more years. Yeah. And then I, like, I'm going to kind of look back at what I've done and then start adjusting my lifestyle accordingly. I've been running really hard at full speed for two years and I'm going to do this Maybe I'm at the two and a half point. Basically, at the five-year mark, I'm going to stop, reevaluate, and then start reassessing where I am and what I can do differently in terms of creating more of that life balance. I'll be able to say, you know what, I'm going to take weekends off or I'm going to go away to the cottage for a long weekend or whatever that is to kind of a little bit more, you know, to go out and enjoy myself a bit more because I, as much as I love working, I'm also, you know, I like living and, you know, that's what I'm hoping to do in about three years or, you know, two and a half to three years from now is just looking back and saying, okay, what have I accomplished and what can I do now to kind of ease off on maybe not run at a full speed, maybe tone it back and see the friends a little bit more often, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because even though we all love real estate and it's great, it's not real estate specifically, right? It's what it gives you as a lifestyle, as opportunities, as time, as freedom. Those are all way more important, in my opinion. Exactly. This is great for one reason. It's stable and it's relatively variable free. You don't wake up the next morning saying, oh crap, I have to sell a hundred shoes today or else I'm not going to eat tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, give or take the one late paying tenant or the one who doesn't pay at all, you know, give or take the one or two bad apples. You're going to get this many rents every single month. This is what you're making. There's no fluctuation in, in your earnings, you know, give or take the bad tenants. And when you've got stability, there's that success. You know, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Mm-hmm. And it's what you can hold on to. And that's what the great real estate is, is the stability of it. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and your property is going to be worth nothing. A stock can go from you know, 200 to zero overnight. You can be Apple the one day and then BlackBerry the next. Yeah. That doesn't happen in real estate. That's why I like it so much because it's very stable. And once you get that foundation built, like what I'm doing now is I'm building my building blocks for my life plan. Once that building block is done, then I've got my base covered. Mm-hmm. And then if I want to take, you know, do this over here or do that over there, or even go out and do riskier ventures in other businesses, I know that I've got my foundation in place. So even if I do end up risking money and then losing it, I'm not, you know, losing everything. And that's the beauty of real estate. That's a great point. I mean, I think real estate, if you really understand it, it is probably actually one of the safest investments. It really is. I mean, the great thing is real estate is cyclical. It goes up it goes down. But at the end of the day, it always goes up. I know um, friends of mine who bought a house in the 80s for $85,000. And we're not going back to that, you know, mm-hmm. and before then, there's a family, you know, who probably bought a house for $15,000. It always goes up. It might drop one year to the next, but it's always going up. So as long as you're able to live simply live within your means, and not be foolish with your money, you can hold that asset through the rough times. And you'd appreciate down the road. Absolutely. So let's just go through your portfolio a little bit and what kind of strategies you do. Cause I think it's like a little bit mixed, right? Some burrs, you do some multifamilies and a few different things. Can you just walk us through like what you currently have, some of the strategies, some of the types of real estate that you've done? A lot of what I'm doing right now, I am focusing a lot on the burr strategy. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find distressed. I want to find the rundown buildings and just completely turn them around. And the reason is I'm doing this five-year growth spurt where I'm trying to get as many buildings under my portfolio as possible so that way I can build my foundation. So I go in and I find the roughest, toughest building that I can get, and I kick everybody out, and I raise the rent, I put the money into it, and I refinance to do it again and again and again. And so I just bought a property and closed in May 25th, Now I'm looking for the next one and it's only July. I've just refinanced another property and I'm going to do it again and again and again. But the great thing is once I've pulled that money back out, the properties that I bought are just money-making machines right now because I've got nothing into them. Uh, No return on investment because I've got nothing in them because I've already pulled the money out and put it in another building. So a couple of years when I've got this nice portfolio, I've just got a constant income stream and I've got nothing in them. Yeah, that's actually infinity return on investment. It's awesome. There's a term for it. I didn't even know. I didn't even know what Burr was. I was doing it, but I didn't know there was a name for it. It wasn't until a couple of weeks ago, someone's like, oh yeah, that's called Burr. Like, <laughs> what's Burr? They're like, you buy, you renovate, you refinance and repeat. And rent out. I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. 
and rent out. And I was like, oh, that's just called real estate. (laughs) That's really cool. So you're actually doing the burr on multifamily properties. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So I do love Burr. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, but like that is like by far my favorite real estate investing strategy because I've done so well with it. And it's just a, an awesome way to recycle your money and get that infinity return on your investment. Like literally you are using the bank at their own game and, and you can do so well in a matter of like so few amount of years. So I do it on single families. And I want to know what the difference is doing the burr on multifamily. Can you talk a little bit about what your process is and how you go about it? Well, the advantage to to the single family is you're able to get them, you're able to turn the whole asset a lot quicker. Mine requires a lot more work because I've got to get out existing tenants. I've had tenants literally yelling and screaming in my face, and I'm just waiting for them to get angry enough to hit me. And then I can get them on that. I've been pinned up against the wall. I've done all sorts of different things to get tenants out. And then, you know, that's how I'm able to turn building so quick. I always tell my tenants I have two rules. Pay rent on time. Don't piss off the neighbors. Everything else, I don't care about. If you want to have friends over, I don't care. You have guests stay over in the visitor's parking lot, I don't care. If I don't hear about it, it didn't happen. So 98% of the tenants get that. They go, gotcha, common sense, renting right there, beautiful. But if you're a day late, that N4 is there the next day. If your dog jumps up on the little lady, I'm there the next day with an N5. You know, if your dog's barking all day, I'll be there with the N5. You know, that's how I run the business, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's why I've been called in to clean up a lot of struggling buildings in Hamilton. I did one in Barton and Sanford, which was very, very rough. We had gangs and prostitutes. And I just signaled that new management is in town. Clean up or get out. And most people chose to just get out. So obviously... For the listeners, you also have a property management company, which is why you're talking about these N4s, N5s, N9s and all that stuff. So what made you decide to go from investor to property management? Real estate is my passion. I love it. I'm not much good at much else. I can't kick a soccer ball to save my life. So I really enjoy real estate. I have a love for architecture. I love looking at a building and finding out ways I can make it more valuable, make it more beautiful. Um, and there's the psychology element of it too. Landlords are not just building owners, they're psychologists. We're like therapists. We deal with tenants and buildings and you cram a hundred people inside of a building and you wonder why there's problems. It's like, you know, that's what our business is, is just dealing with people. And so as frustrating and as stressful as it is, I also very much love it. And the other thing too is I'm building a brand and that's the unlimited brand. And I grew up, you know, with advantages, but I also grew up with disadvantages. I didn't grow up in a very wealthy family. I didn't have a million dollar loan that was given to me to start my own business. Everything that I got was through hard work. That's why I worked 100 hours a week, slept in my car in a Toronto hotel to get an extra two hours of sleep rather than driving home. So I built this business on the mindset that we are only limited by what we allow ourselves to be. When I started my first business, I was 18. And people said, what do you possibly know at 18? I said, a lot. But what I don't know, I'll figure it out later. Mm-hmm. So that's where I keep growing. And that's where the unlimited mindset comes from, is I'm building a brand where I'm going from, you know, lower middle class to building a company that I want to, that is known across the nation. I want to turn unlimited into the next Timber Creek, CLV, Effort Trust, or, you know, those 10,000 units strong. And the best way for me to do that 
is to reach out to landlords and investors who might not know what they're doing and help them. You can only get wealthy one way, and that's by helping a lot of people. Yes, I can get myself, you know, 10, 20 apartment buildings over my lifespan, but if I really want to truly build something great, I'm going to have to help a lot of people be successful. Where should I invest with your host, Sarah Larvey? We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself. And she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis, it was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. So that's why I started my property management company, is that I can build a network of investors and landlords and do something good for them. Because the richer they are, the richer I get in the end. Absolutely. So that's really well said. So as somebody that is new or somebody that has a portfolio and wants to, I don't know, retire and not be as hands-on anymore, like what should they look for in a property manager or property management company? Any tips? Well, those are actually the two target demographics that I go after. So if they are in those demographics, they should be looking for me first off. I mean, of course, the things that they want to look for is they want to look for the mindset. And the specific mindset that they want is an owner's mindset. When I run my client's buildings, I run them the same way I run my own. Every dollar I spend on their repairs, their renovations, on their preventative maintenance is the same way I run my own building. I completely take ownership 
That's why I'm so quick to put my brand name on it because I want people to think of me and their building as one thing. It's almost like, I can't think of a better example, but Trump has his name on a lot of buildings he doesn't own, but they all stand for that, you know, five-star, gold, luxury, whatever. That's his brand, and this is my brand. So you want someone who's going to take your business in, your buildings in, and put a brand on it, put a stamp on it, and say, I own this product. This is mine, and I'm going to run it like it's mine. And that way, you know you've handed your keys over to the property manager. He wouldn't do anything different. A lot of property managers have the mindset, I'm just going to push a bunch of papers, get tenants in, get tenants out, whatever, carry on, keep moving. Mm -hmm. So how would somebody successfully manage, let's just say you, for example, how should an investor manage a property manager or management company? Like what should we be looking for? What should we be following up with? Like, how does this all work? Let's just like go down to the nitty gritty stuff. An investor, a landlord shouldn't have to follow up with the property management company. The property management company should be reaching out to the investors. I'm in constant contact with all of my owners, letting them know what's going on in their building as much or as little as they so desire. Some are more hands-off, some, you know, require more attention. So I customize my service to all of my landlords to meet their individual needs. And that's what they need to look for is how attentive is the property manager when I call? Am I just another client or are they really looking into what I'm building is? Because Every property manager, I mean, you have 100 units, they probably are looking at 1,000. So you're, you know, one in 100 for these managers, but do you still feel like one in 100? Or do you feel like they're the only one looking after your building and the only thing that's on their mind is looking after your building? And that's what you should think about when you're looking at the property manager. Is he following up with you and saying, hey, this is what's going on in your building. What do you think? And that's what I do with mine. Okay. All right. So basically, just to kind of break it down a little bit. So essentially, if I hired you, and you basically are responsible for collecting rents, correct? Yeah. And then it goes into your main account, like, correct? Or no? Does it go into an account we, specific for that house? Or how do you have it so that it's not mixed up with everyone else's stuff? Every client has their own account. Okay. So every, every, client, every client has, has a bank account, right? Okay, cool. So yeah. then essentially, how do you collect payments? Is it e-transfer? Is it checks? How does that work? I would say that unfortunately, 90% of the tenants pay by check. Okay. The others are paying by e-transfer and we're slowly introducing electronic pay through a property management software okay. so that tenants will be able to go log online and put their information, pay their rent directly into the owner's account through the property management software. They'll also be able to pay by their debit card and their credit card. So there's really no excuse for a tenant not to have to pay their rent unless they literally don't have the money in their account. And even then, you always have some credit available. So it's really, we're rolling out as many ways to pay as possible. The only exception to that is cash. Okay, we don't take cash at all. I'm just trying to understand just in general, because I just self-manage everything myself. So, so let's just say, for example, and you can talk about general, it doesn't have to just be what you do or you, you can say what you do, but let's just say an, a tenant does not pay rent. And they haven't reached out to you. So how do you track that down? And then what is your next step? Like what procedure do you have in place? Because I think even as a landlord, if you're self-managing, like always have some processes and procedures. And if you're hiring a property manager, like make sure that they have processes and procedures as well and that you understand them. Because I think that is a big differentiator between somebody that's just like doing this and like weighing it off, you know, seat of their pants or somebody that's doing it as a business, right? 
Exactly. So when the minute a tenant doesn't pay rent, on the second of the month, M4s are automatically generated and they're sent door to door. I don't mail them. I go right to the door and it's handed right to them or it's slid right under the door and it's noted on the certificate of service Mm -hmm. uh, how we deliver every single one. And we're right on that right away. Then we follow up with emails and phone calls and texts. The great thing is, is texting with the tenant to make sure that they know that their rent is in arrears. We haven't heard from them. What are their next steps? What is their intention? And maybe I've got a very good portfolio, but we've been getting a lot of positive results with tenants paying their rent in a timely fashion. Once they get that second and fourth, boom. Sorry, I forgot. Here it is. Meanwhile, it's still always logged. We're keeping track of how often they're paying rent because once that sixth, seventh, eighth occurrence comes, we take them to court for consistently late payments. We get a standard order. We get them to pay rent on time on the first every single month. And if they break it again, we can look towards eviction. So who goes to court? Is it you or is it a paralegal? We have to get paralegals. Unfortunately, landlords can only represent themselves. Yeah. Property managers cannot represent landlords. So we do work with a paralegal. If the case permits it, I do go to the court as well. I try to always make deals with the tenant in the favor of the building. If I've got a low rent paying tenant and their arrears are, you know, four or $5,000, I reach out to the landlord and I say, look, we can take away half the debt, three quarters of the debt. What's that number to get them out? And nine times out of 10, we'll wipe everything away if they just move. And so we go to the tenant and we make them a deal, we get them out and then they leave and that's it. And then we get the unit back, we can renovate it, rent it at full market, get better tenants in there and clean the whole place up. Okay. So, I mean, it, it sounds like it's pretty straightforward. I mean, obviously, like, you know, there's always going to be things as a landlord. I mean, there's never any risk-free, passive type of investing. I mean, even, you know, like real estate is just not as passive. So just keep in mind, there are going to be some things like that that will happen. What about like tenants complaining that the other tenants is making too much noise? Like, how are you guys handling that? What's your process for that or the procedures? Well, I want to go back and touch on that, what you just said. Real estate is definitely not passive. They say that real estate is passive income, and I'm like, (laughs) not really. You get one day of reward, and then 29 days following that, you're just dealing with headache after headache after headache. You're dealing with the late payers, you're dealing with the non-payers, then you're dealing with the guy with the toilet that leaks all over the floor, the one who's screaming from one end of the hallway to the other, and it just carries on and carries on until the first of the month where you're happy again and get more rent. I've been in court trying to evict tenants and I've had six other tenants who live in the vicinity come to court with me and I have them fight with me all along the way because I'm not going to lose six good tenants over one. Uh, and that was actually over drugs and some very serious issues that turned into they claimed human rights and it was a whole mess. But at the end of the day, I had my paralegal team on there. I was in there. We built this case. Everything was put together, crossed the T's, dot the I's. We got them out, and that's how I deal with every single situation, is we jump on issues right away and try to mitigate them as quickly as possible so that way we don't have to go to court, but when we do go to court, we go to win, and we win. Now, like I said, I'm a pretty reasonable guy. If you go to most tents and you let them know, hey, this is what's going on, this is what's up, knock it off, nine times out of ten, that works. My paycheck, the management fees that I earn is in the 1% that I actually have to deal with. If there's 100 tenants, 99 will be great. And the 99 per unit fees that I get from them will be gravy. It's the one tenant that's always the thorn in your side. And that's the one that really makes you earn your money. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's why I am such a big proponent of tenant screening and just really doing your due diligence. And if there's like one thing that doesn't check out or you don't have a good feeling about it or their credit score is low and you're trying to make an exception or something doesn't go right, just pass on them. Like tenants, you know, no offense to any tenants listening to this, but like there is like way more tenants that you have the ability to pick and choose and be picky for the most part, as long as you've got a decent property, you know, as a landlord, like you've got ability to pick from a variety of different options. So I would just say like, don't get desperate. Don't settle on the first person that's there to like give you first and last, but just be very, very diligent. Cause in Ontario, like, especially like there's some provinces that are more landlord friendly, but Ontario is tenant friendly. So as soon as you have somebody come in, if they're going to, you know, not pass all of your minimum criteria and they're going to give you a problem, they're going to give you a much bigger headache trying to get rid of them and it could take a long time and especially if you don't hire the right paralegal or you don't hire a paralegal and they you don't do the paperwork correctly like you could be there for months so it can be horrible and i will say though like if you do pick your tenants right and you have a few properties like for me personally like it takes me a couple hours a month to manage my tenants are great i'm so picky with who, you know, is getting the keys to my properties. And it's not all going to be horrible. Just keep in mind, it's not passive. Like you're still going to be doing some work. Like I had a washer go the week before I've got a dryer that needs to be replaced this week. Like there's always things to do. You got to either suck it up. And then if you can't suck it up, (laughs) hire somebody like Adam or a property manager that is able to do it and then take on that headache for you. Right. Because for me, I look at it as like, yeah, you know what, for two hours a month or like a couple things here and there, you just kind of delegate that out to your team. It's not horrible, but some people may not even enjoy half an hour of that, you know? Well, that's the thing about real estate is you have to do your homework. In any business, I don't care if you're going to be a shoemaker, a fashion designer, or a landlord, or a steel, whatever. It doesn't matter. You have to do your homework. You have to know your business. You have to know it inside and out. You have to know it better than everyone else because if the tenant knows it better than you, they win. I know this business better than any tenant out there. And that's why I'm so successful at getting the bad ones out. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the people like you, they don't call me to manage their properties. Otherwise, I'd just be sitting in the shade collecting <laughs> management fees and not doing it if you've got great tenants. I get the guy who calls me and says, this tenant owes me $5,000 and I don't know what to do. I have this tenant who's causing issues and driving everybody out of my building and I don't know what to do. And those are cases of people who need help and a tenant got the best of them. Tenant has 24 hours a day to think about how to get around the landlord. The landlord only has the same 24 hours a day, but he has a hundred tenants. You know, so you have to know what you're doing. You need to know this business if you're going to get into it. It's definitely not passive and it's definitely not easy. And the other side of it too is sometimes you have to be a dick. You have to say to tenants, no, you have to evict people. You have to put people on the street. That's what this business is. It can be very sad to have to do that, but you're also not running a charity either. And so that's why sometimes I also encourage people, especially if they're starting out, to work with a property manager because I will gladly show them the ropes. I'll show them how I do it. I'll get their property to the point where it's a couple hours of month of management and then they can take the reins again. Mm-hmm. And I'll gladly show them that process. And then the other side of things is if you don't have the stomach for it and you still want to get into it, you can. I'll help you get the property. I'll manage it and I'll be the bad guy. They don't even need to know you exist. You'll get the check at the end of the month and I'll be the one who goes to the tents bringing the bad news. I'm not here to be like, I'm not here to be the tenant's best friend. And as a landlord, you shouldn't be. There's got to be that arm's length of distance. You're not going to be friends with tenants. The same reason why you would never rent to friends. 
because when business has to be done and things need to get dirty, it destroys that relationship. So that's why I never rent to family, I never rent to friends, and I never cut deals. I have another friend of mine, he rented to a friend of his, he put the rent at a ridiculously low rent, you know, $300 in a market where you can get 850 relationship went sour. Next thing you know, boom, now he can't raise the rent and he's getting very, very, very low rent. And he, every year he increases at the wow, the 1.8% and he's very, very under market. That was a bad deal. Yeah. You know? And all because he tried to help his friend out. Business isn't personal. And so if you're a very personal person, very well liked and well respected, hand the keys over to a guy like me, keep your hands clean. I'll get my hands dirty. They're already dirty anyways. I mean, I definitely do agree with you that friends and family, I mean, even though you want to help them, I think it's just so much easier to separate it because, you know, a year, two years, three years, you never know what's going to happen in the future. And, you know, I personally lived that from experience and it wasn't a horrible situation. But when we compare the tenant to our other non-family, non-friends tenants, the non-family and non-friends are like, they just seem like so much more appreciative. But anyways, it is what it is. But, you know, I think as a landlord, you know, one of the things that you want to figure out is, you know, do you want to self-manage or do you not want to self-manage and why or why not? Right. Because I will say, like, it is not all horrible, but it is not all great. So can you handle the ups and downs? And if you can handle the ups and downs, and I think if you get a few properties here and there, it's not going to be that time consuming, but can you handle the ups and downs? And if the answer is no, then maybe look at some options. If the answer is yes, then try it, right? And I would say if you have a process and a procedure to at least get the tenants checked so that you have the right tenants in place, like a great tenant can make this process so much easier for you and a horrible tenant could completely destroy any excitement that you have about real estate. So, you know, if this is your first or second or third property and you're still just getting started, just do not bend any criteria for somebody just because you want to be nice because it will backfire whether it's tomorrow or in a year from now. I never bend the rules. It happens every single time. You give an inch to take a mile, you always get screwed in the end. That's why N4s always go out on the second of the month. They'll say, Adam, I've had tenants call me beforehand and say, Adam, I'm not going to have it on the first. I will have it on the third. And I go, not a problem. You're still getting the N4. And they come back with the rent and that's great. The N4 is useless. But the one time when they don't, my ammunition is locked and loaded. I'm ready to go and move forward on the lack of payment. I had a guy, he took the apartment, he gave me last month's rent, and I said, okay, when you give me the first month's rent, you can move in. First rolls around, he says, oh, I don't have it yet. I said, then you don't get the keys. He yeah. says, well, you can't let me move in, I've got a moving truck. I said, until I get the money in my hand, you can't move in. He says, well, can I get my last month's rent back? He said, no, you rented this apartment. If you can't come up with the money at the end of this month, I'm re-renting it, and I'm still keeping your last month's rent to pay for the rent that I lost. And lo and behold, five days later, he came up with the rent. Now he's a tenant in my building and he's great. He's absolutely fantastic. I never hear from him. Ran through some hard times. I understand that. You know, I've been through it. Everyone goes through it. But at the end of the day, you give an inch, they take a mile. And that's how I run my business. You know what? Came up with the money. He fixed the problem. We're all good. I don't hold cold blood against them or I'm not bitter against them. I just keep, you know, business as usual. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a great, a great tip too. Like when I do my lease signings, I collect last month's no matter what. And then before they get the keys, they either need to give me cash, they need to give me an e-transfer that actually makes it to my account. 
like not a check because a check can always bounce and then it takes a couple of days. So it needs to be a draft or something that like the money is actually hitting your account right away before they get the keys. And a lot of like professional tenants will just do that. And then they just like move in and then all of a sudden their check bounces and then all of a sudden you have professional tenant on your hands, right? And you've got to scramble to get them out. So first and last, make sure that you collect that before you give any tenant the key to be able to move in. You know, it's just really, really great insights. And then also like, just don't bend the rules, stay, like keep a process and keep the same process for everyone. And then that way you can never be, you know, told that you're favoring one over the other and you're just like doing your process, it's your procedures and that's the way that it is. And if you're not comfortable with that, Hire somebody, whether it's a property manager, a paralegal can also do it as well. Or, you know, just find somebody that can help you, another investor that can help you walk through it. So I think ultimately, like there's just a lot of things that you need to know. But, you know, if anything, if you guys retain anything is don't let people move in without giving you first and last, not as a check, but as like actual money that you can see in your account. The minute I tell the tenants that the apartment is theirs, if I show an apartment, I always do open houses. It sets the stage. It sets the tone. People go, oh, wow, a lot of people want this place. It also stops me from wasting my own time because I'll book 25 appointments, 10 will show up. And yeah. so I'm not booking 25 appointments to stand around and only meet 10 people. So I do open houses. And the minute I give that one tenant the go-ahead saying, you've got the apartment, they have 24 hours to bring the last month's rent because I'm not waiting until the first to find out that they've changed their mind they've gone somewhere else because that's happened. Now, I call them up. I say, you're the winner. You got the apartment. If you don't come to me in the next 24 hours, I go to the next one in line and I get that last month's rent and they can get first month's rent at the same time. If not, if they can't come up with it, I know it's a lot of money. Once they move in on the first of the month, they give me their first month's rent. I then give them the keys. We sign the lease and that's the deal. There's no change in that process. Absolutely. Landlords need to remember that you can't go after tenants for first and last month's rent in the landlord tenant port. So they need to get it. If they don't, then it's lost money. The other thing too is, yeah, if you're going to start out and you're going to do this business, I encourage everyone to, you know, buy real estate. Like I did when I grew up, I was surrounded by a team of people who shaped me and molded me into the manager, owner, investor that I am today. And I would have made a crap load of mistakes otherwise. And so that's why I always tell new landlords, you should always do things yourself. You should always go down the road of success and learn by your own hand. But you also need to surround yourself with people who have done it before, know what they're talking about, and can help guide you along the way, which is why a property manager is so helpful. And that's why I kind of help new landlords through the process until they can get up on their own two feet and say, I can do this on my own now. I've learned from you because then they avoid the mistakes. Then they're not coming to me six months after they own the property saying, this tenant owes me $3,000 and I don't know how to get it out of them. It helps. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go in preparing for the worst, smarter, you go in a lot wiser. When you prepare for the worst, when you pre-plan and you think about this business and you know everything, then you go in a lot smarter. When you go in thinking, well, I'll learn, I'll figure it out, then you're opening yourself up to mistakes. And I got to miss a lot of the mistakes that amateurs make because I was surrounded by property managers, landlords, my parents. I watched all of them make all of the mistakes that I don't have to make anymore. That's and that's great. why I always suggest new landlords surround themselves with a property manager who can walk them through the first years of owning a property. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you might as well learn from other people's mistakes. It's a lot less expensive than learning from your own, right? So property manager, paralegal, other investors, like there's just a lot of opportunity. It's you're not on an island out there. So definitely reach out to others that have done it. And the other thing I will add, so like I, you know, I'm open to people, you know, suggesting that they self-manage or use a property manager. But if they're going to use a property manager, I think my recommendation to everyone is like, just make sure that they're investors themselves. And they're not just like, you know, a random property manager that are not buying and renting their own properties. Because I think, you know, just like I say with realtors, just like I say with lawyers, accountants, mortgage brokers, make sure that they're investor specific but that they're investors themselves and you're going to get, I think, much better insights and they're going to just know much more what to do because they're doing it for themselves. So that would just be my advice. However you guys decide to do it, whether you're working with, you know, any team member, mortgage broker, property manager, et cetera, like no matter what, you know, try to make sure that they're investors. You want someone who has skin in the game. If they lose, you lose. If you lose, they lose. That's how I see it. I own a lot of properties and I manage a lot of properties. And that's the point. I manage all of my properties as if my name's on the deed, whether it is or not. And I use my philosophies and I bring them into my property management. And those teachings I pass down to my staff and they keep doing the same things that I do so that it keeps replicating and replicating to continue the results, even if my hand's not necessarily on the pulse all the time. And that's important too. Now, if you're going to go out and find a property manager, that's exactly what you want to know is, does he have skin in the game? And if he manages my property, is he going to manage it as if he owns it? Or is he going to manage it like he has 20 other accounts and he doesn't care if he loses it? Exactly. Awesome. So I know like we're on a strict timeline here and I want to make sure that you uh, get to go home in a decent time because I think you're like pulled over on the side of the road doing this podcast at like 930 at night. But let's go into our lightning round questions. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. Okay, awesome. So this is a series of five questions. I ask everybody the same question and just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? I got to say, Rich Dad Poor Dad is the one that's coming to mind. I think it's mostly because it's the first one I ever read. Okay, awesome. What about number two, your favorite podcast? This one, obviously. <laughs> okay, awesome. Number three, what's your favorite pastime? What do you do for fun when you're not doing real estate related stuff? When I'm not managing investment properties, I'm trying to find seclusion away from the craziness. I live and work in the city. So when I'm turning my phone off and trying to do my own personal things, I go out to the countryside, I find trees, I find cows, I find horses, and I put my boots on dirt. That's where I go to escape the concrete jungle of apartment buildings. Very cool. So when you say you live and work in the city, what city are you referring to? Hamilton. Okay, awesome. Well, I live in Hamilton, but I'm, I'm spread across. I'm in London, Woodstock, Ingersoll, Brantford, uh, Welland, Burlington, across southern Ontario, but I live in Hamilton. Okay. So number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Same way I started. I'd go out, I'd find three part-time jobs, work $15 an hour, pay down any debt that I had left over like I did when I started over in 2015, save up for my first down payment and find the first investment property I could get my hands on. Okay. And last question, number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend the 50000 if they can take advantage of the first-time homeowner's tax, I would go out and find themselves a small little investment property, slap 10% down, because 
50000 on 20% isn't going to go very far and try and find themselves a nice little investment property. I wouldn't go for necessarily a project building right off the top. I would try to find something that's a little bit more low maintenance. You don't jump in and start renting, you know, the Taj Mahal. You start small, you start a little bit easier. So that's what I would do is I'd go find some building that's a little bit more well-maintained, probably owned by a manager or owner who's owned it for a couple of years. The tenants in place are good. They pay the rent on time. And that's how you start. You start easy. And then as you learn the business, that's when you start buying the challenging properties. I go out, I find the worst property I can find. I buy the properties that nobody else wants to buy because nobody else knows how to fix them. But that's not something I would suggest for a new person. I've been doing this for 10 years. When my dad had his first property, it was easy breezy, paint the cabinets, rent it to the next guy for 500 bucks, and that was it. It wasn't until we had learned the business, made a lot of mistakes, learned from those mistakes that we started figuring out, okay, how do we maximize our potential? How do we maximize our investment? How do we get the best rent? How do we get the best tenants? But until you learn that process, start small and buy something a little bit more lower maintenance until you know and you've mastered this business. They say that to become a master, it takes 10,000 hours. You need to get those 10,000 hours before you start looking for projects. Absolutely. I think that was like an outliers or something, right? The 10,000 hours? 10,000 hours, exactly. Yeah, Gladwell. Welcome Gladwell. That's exactly true. Bruce Lee said the same thing. I fear not the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks once. I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. You know, that's actually why I listen to podcasts is I'm like, how do I get these 10,000 hours in? And then I just, I'm like, okay, I can listen to like audiobooks and I can listen to podcasts and that's how I'm going to do it. And then I just like became obsessed <laughs> with real estate. Exactly. So get your building and then get your 10,000 hours in. And once you've done it for a couple of years and you can weather the storm and you built yourself a nice little safety net, then you go out and you say, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go buy that piece of crap on the end of the street because I know that if I turn it around, I can make it the best one on the street. And that's what I do time and time again. I buy the crappiest building on the street and I bring it up to the standards of the rest of them. So when I go in and I, I bought a building for $250,000 and I said, this place is worth six hundred, And even my realtor looked at me and said, you're never going to get that. And I said, watch me. And the real estate appraisal came back last April when I refinanced the one I told you about in May at five fifty. Now, I'm not a greedy man. I was off by $50,000, but I would say that's a pretty damn close estimate. And that's purely from looking at the potential, knowing my numbers, and looking at the street. And that's how I got it. But that only came in the last three, four years where I've been able to pinpoint properties and literally bring it down to the penny on what they're worth. That's awesome. Cool. So that was our lightning round. So Adam, where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more about you? If you want to check me out, you can go online at www.adamkitchener.com. Uh, all of my information is on there. It has links to my Instagram page, my Facebook page, and my Twitter page, although those links are actually at Mr. Adam Kitchener, all three of them. My phone number is on there as well, along with my backstory, uh, my blog, and how to get in touch with me if you're interested in speaking, having your property managed, or need a little bit more insight as an entrepreneur, business owner, and you want to get a third party to come in and kind of give his perspective. Okay, great. And any, I mean, you might have one or you might not, but do you have any last words of advice or anything else that you'd like listeners know before we depart? No matter what you do, be it real estate, business, life, don't fear failure. I have failed many, many times over. I've had double businesses that were not just real estate and they all failed. And I learned from every single one of them. And at the end of the day, 
life goes on. Just keep growing and keep trying. Like I said, said, if I lost everything, what would I do? I'd just do it all over again. But I'd be a little bit smarter this time. You are only limited by what you allow yourself to be limited by. So if you're going to let yourself be limited by failure, your financial circumstance, your past, your disability, your illness, then you will always stay where you are. But if you can grow and learn from your failures and your successes, you will continue to plateau and go to the next plateau after next plateau and continue to grow. And that's where you will find success. Success is not a dollar figure. It's not a number of buildings. It's literally going from one place and growing to another place. As long as you're growing, you are becoming more successful. Really awesome advice. Well, on that note, Adam, thank you so much for being on Where Should I Invest? I really, really enjoyed picking your brain, getting to know more about you and getting some great tips on many different things, including property management. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Okay. Well, guys, see you next time. And uh, if you have any questions for Adam, we'll have the information on the show notes. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.